Section 36 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 118. The Rocks, Sunday, January the 15th, 1690. You are right, I cannot reconcile myself to the date of this year. It has, however, been already begun for some time and you will find that, let us pass it as we may, we shall soon find the bottom of the bag that contained the thousand livres. Good note, Madame de Savigny compared the twelve months of the year to a bag with a thousand livres, which is exhausted almost as soon as it is opened. Back to main text. You really spoil me, and so do my Paris friends. The sun has scarcely gained upon us a barleycorn before you tell me when you shall expect me at Grignon. And my friends desire me to fix from that hour the time of my departure in order to hasten their joy. Such pressing civilities flatter me highly, and particularly yours, which admit of no comparison. I will then sincerely confide to my dear Countess that between this and September, I cannot entertain a thought of leaving this country. This is the time when I send my little means to Paris, of which only a very small part has gone. This is the time when the Abbe Charrier is treating for my fines and sales, which amount to 10,000 livres. But more of this hereafter. Let us content ourselves with driving away every hope of taking the least step before the time I have mentioned. I will not, however, say that you are my goal, my perspective, you know it well, and that you are so firmly rooted in my heart that I fear Monsieur Nicole would find much difficulty to prune you away. This, in short, is my disposition. You use the most affectionate expression possible to me in hoping that you may never see the end of the happy years you wish me. We are very far from agreeing in our wishes, for I have informed you of a very just and very proper truth, which God will doubtless grant, and which is to follow the natural order of providence. This is my comfort through the thorny road of old age. Mine is a rational feeling, and yours too extraordinary and too kind a one. As to Paulina, that devourer of books, I'd rather she should swallow bad ones than have no love for reading. Romances, plays, voitures, Saracen have all been exhausted. Has she dipped into Lucian? Is she capable of enjoying les petites lettres? History should come next. And if she does not find her account in this, I pity her. If she does not like the finest works of devotion, so much the worse for her, for we know but too well that even without devotion ourselves, they are charming. With respect to ethics, as she would not make so good a use of it as you, I would not have a meddle either with Montaigne, Charon, or any others of his stamp. She is too young. The true morality of this age is what we learn in conversation, fables, history and example. 
If you were to bestow a little of your time upon her in conversation, she would reap a greater benefit from this than from all the rest. I know not whether what I say is worth your reading. I am very far from being wedded to my opinion. Letter 119, The Rocks, Sunday, January the 22nd, 1690. Good heavens, what a situation you are in! How pressing a one! And how much and sensibly I am grieved at it! But, my child, how weak and futile are wishes upon such occasions! And how needless it is to tell you that if I had now, as I have had, some portable sum which depended on me, it would soon be yours. I am overwhelmed with a host of little creditors who dun and threaten me, and I do not know whether I shall be able to satisfy them as I had hoped to do, for I am quite suffocated by the obligation I am under of paying immediately five thousand livres by way of fine, and the price of the estate of Madame d'Assigny, which I purchased to avoid paying ten thousand, if I'd waited two years longer. Such, then, is my situation. But this is only to acquaint you with the utter impossibility of my assisting you. Your brother appears to me to feel for you, and I'm persuaded he would perform his duty better than your rich prelates, if the times were as they have been, that is, if it were possible to borrow. He will talk to you himself and tell you his opinion of your affairs. I have also set forth to him the embarrassments of your little colonel. He mentioned the subject to me the first, some time ago, pitying and regretting, like us, that the Chevalier had not the management of him for the first year or two. Nothing could have been of so much service to him as such a master. In short, my dearest child, no one but God can confine so great a number of disagreeable things within the bounds of resignation in which you appear to me. To return to my son, he had some anxiety on seeing a stripling of seventeen or eighteen at the head of such a troop. He remembers enough of past times to know how difficult it is at that age to command old officers, and this difficulty would have been removed if he could have had his uncle to establish him. This is a very disagreeable and delicate time for him. Can you not assist him with some prudent counsellor to advise him a little? For in short, he is alone and cannot at his age know a profession that requires more experience than any other. I have conjured you to send for the Marquis de Guignon. What will he do during the carnival at Paris and Versailles? Do you think he will acquit himself well of the duty and compliments he has to go through? I perhaps do him wrong, but he is very young and little accustomed to this business. In short, I think he has more to perform than he is equal to. I resign the pen to my son. I will resume it again presently. Letter 120, The Rock, Sunday, February the 26th, 1690. 
I could not have believed that I should have wept so much for La Chaux. Reader's note, a servant of Madame de Crignon, back to main text. But it is impossible to read your account of his poor wife's unfeigned and violent affliction without being affected to tears. This is indeed a peculiar misfortune and a fate which nothing could prevent. The man is in haste. He wants to get to his journey's end. He is advised, for very weighty reasons, not to expose himself, or at least not to go into the little boat. But he will listen to no one. He must go. He must be punctual to his appointment. Death is waiting for him at a particular spot upon the Rhone. He must meet him there and perish. Good heavens, my dear child, how all this is arranged. Everyone sees his own fate in this accident, and his wife's grief becomes ours. As we are exposed to similar perils, it is our own interest that makes us weep when we suppose we are lamenting the misfortunes of others. Christianity dictates to us that we should think first of this poor man's salvation, but his wife afterward claims our pity for the loss of four thousand livres. If the dead body should not float, or the violence of the Rhone should throw it beyond Arles upon some unfrequented shore, Providence will dispose of this gold, sewed up in his wet coat, as of the rest. I highly approve the resolution of not sending for the Marquis. This is the surest way. The journey would be both expensive and fatiguing, and productive of no good but the mere gratification of your affection. Bear this like many other things, and rather wait till he is a brigadier or major-general than make him lose his time now. Beaulieu informs me that he is quite overwhelmed with business, and that he attends to nothing else. Is it possible that he should have visited Madame de Lafayette before Madame de Vin? I blame him. I am as jealous upon this occasion as you are, for I frequently put myself in your place. Every reason should have induced him to have flown to Madame de Vin. She wrote to me the other day that she longed to see him, and to observe the difference and transition from infancy to youth. He has waited upon Madame de Lavardame, and will have time to pay her another visit. Monsieur de Grignon has resolved upon a very precipitate journey. It is difficult to avoid such courses when we command singly in a province, whether for the service of the king or the honour of the post. You never examine thoroughly into this business except for Monsieur de Grignon. This is natural enough, but the example should extend further. No enemies, my dear child, let this be your maxim. It is equally Christian and politic. I not only say no enemies, but also many friends. You have felt the good effects of these in your lawsuit. You have a son. 
you may stand in need of those you may now think can never be of service to you. We are deceived. See how Madame de Lafayette abounds with friends on every side and of all ranks. She has a hundred arms, and they all serve her. Her children feel it, and thank her daily for her courteous disposition. An obligation which she owes to Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld, and of which her family reaps the benefit. I am certain that you have been of this opinion for many years. You explain Madame Renier's conduct very well. It is droll to think of her leaving Paris, her husband or her business, to fly for three or four months all over Provence, asking for money without getting any, fatiguing herself, returning after having been at great expense, and getting the rheumatism into the bargain. For recollect that she has pains all over her, and such as at length have defeated you. I am delighted at Paulina's partiality to Monsieur Nicole. It is a proof that she reads him with attention. This taste gives me the highest opinion of her understanding. I also like her anger that the bishops do not fight for promotion. But, my dear, on your honour, do you believe it right to give us only the first volume of the romance of the Princess, the Infanta, or the First Minister? so charming as we thought it. Footnote, this was an account in the form of a romance of what passed in Monsieur de Grignon's family. Back to main text. I will not allow you to stop here. I insist upon knowing what has become of the princess's good and just resolution. I'm afraid it has vanished by the necessity of the times, the want of a minister, the sudden journey, the impossibility of collecting the leaves of the sibyl idly and incautiously scattered to the winds for ten years. In short, I fear your good intentions will come to nothing, as I have so often found during the last twenty years. This story, however, requires a continuation, but it should not be too serious with regard to your affairs. I wish also to be informed of the success of Monsieur Pratt's journey to the enraged lover of the Princess Troelle. I should like to know who were the confidants of the First Minister and the favourite, and who received the couriers. Tell me if you are still satisfied with flame. Footnote, Monsieur de Grignon's house steward, back to main text. He is a very considerable personage in your household. I want to know some particulars respecting the Count's journey, and if the treasurer will do as he wishes. Here are a number of questions, my dearest child, for which I apologise. It is kind of you to love my letters. When you receive them three at a time, you say you are rich. But what fatigues do they not occasion you? They are so very long that you should not answer them minutely. Adieu, my love. How does Lent agree with you? For my part, I like it extremely. I took a mess of milk coffee this morning. I'm not yet surfeited with it, nor with sermons, for we read none but those of Monsieur le Tourneur and St. John Chrysostom. It is delightful weather. The winter is past, 
and we have a prospect of spring that is superior to spring itself. Note, this letter is the last from the mother to the daughter. End of section 36